You are listening to The Athenian with Angel B. Jimenez. Welcome get back, guys, to the 15th episode of The Athenian. 15th, guys, that is correct. We are nearing the end soon. I'm super excited. I am super, 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 duper, duperty, superty excited. Episode 15. Wow. And let me assure you guys, I mean, like, I, like I've said before, right, we've put, I've put a lot of work into this. Every, I mean, you get you guys too in a way, right? Tuning in, that's. I mean, if you see this as boring and listening to this as boring, then I guess it is work. If it's not, then it's more like entertainment for you guys. Hopefully, that's what it is, and it's not boring. But uh, but yeah, and I I look back and I'm like, wow, I've put a lot of work into the podcast, my books. And, uh, yeah, just about everything else. And, um, and let me tell you guys, there is, I'm trying this last-ditch effort for the podcast to, you can say, finally get to that tipping point where uh, the audience numbers and uh, stats just explode. I'm trying one last-ditch effort, and if it works, not only will that help the podcast, you guys will get to hear from uh, higher standard people at times as well. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's not even about the high standards, you could say. Like, I'm talking, like, actors, stars, celebrities. Because, um, I mean, you've seen. Look at everything that these more middle-class average people have to say. They They have amazing stories, right? But I think in today's society... A lot of people want to hear from celebrities and stars because, I mean, maybe because of what they've accomplished, because they're uh, your idols or whatever. Although I gotta say, it never mean your heroes. But that saying is true many times, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes they overexceed our expectations, actually, and that's good. Um, but it, it has happened, especially to me, when I'm like, oh, I'm gonna meet this awesome person, and then when you actually meet them. This person you've been looking up to like your whole life, it's like, damn, what a dick, right? <laughs> but um, hopefully that's not going to be my case anymore if this last-ditch effort works. And I'm trying super hard to get you guys um, uh, like just awesome celebrities, every uh, celebrities interviews every episode. Because um, I, 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 w- I want to get you actual stories that will not only entertain you, but also give you some insight that might help you, right? Talking about insight, guys. I had a scenario. You, you guys, you guys know how I, I can get into the role of things, right? And once I'm rambling, I just go on rambling and rambling, and there's no stopping me, right? So I started watching the new show, The One Hundred, and I like started watching it with my father like a couple years ago, and I never really got into it. I, I didn't really like it. I got like to episode like eleven or something like that of season one, and then I kind of dropped it. And then years later. Present day, or as of kind of, what was it? I think it was last Wednesday. It was Wednesday, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday, what's today, Sunday? So last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, I finished watching the mid-season finale of season two because I've been hooked on the 100. And let me tell you guys, it was heartbreaking. I don't know. I mean, for those of you who have watched the mid-season finale, that's spoilers ahead, spoilers ahead, when Finn Collins dies, um... Gets killed by the main character, Clark. Kind of sad. 
and let me tell you, let me tell you why I started rambling. And I went on Reddit where a lot of people were posting, you know, crap about him, about Finn. Because a lot of people don't like Finn for some reason. And I'm going to tell you why. They think he's the living embodiment of teen drama, which I don't think he is, actually. I think Finn, realistically, and a lot of people can back me up on this, is probably the most realistic character on the show. Right? He's the most realistic acting, you know, or behaving, you could say, of all the characters, right? He can be impulsive sometimes, he's kind, he's, you could say, a bit innocent, but he makes mistakes as well, right? He's a peacemaker, um, so he's really the most realistic character of all, out of all of them. And then, another thing, they call him a cheater, because the thing was, right, he had a, the, the plot of the show is that they send these 100 delinquents from a space station because humans are living in space because the Earth, you know, was deemed to have too much radiation after a war. So they've been living in space 100 years. So they send down 100 juvenile delinquents to Earth, one of them being Finn and the main character Clark and a couple other people. And Finn happened to have a girlfriend back on the space station. But, I mean, they're sending these kids down to die, right? You can pretty much say if you even survive the landing, right, your life up in space is done. Everyone you knew, right, you're probably never going to see them again. There's no way how to get back up there. And if they don't know you're alive down there, people are not going to come down to Earth. They're going to think you're dead, and they think the Earth is still dangerous, right? So, I mean, Finn could, you know, most likely just think that he's never going to see his girlfriend again. So then again, he makes a relationship with the main protagonist and he sleeps with her and everything and so they call him a cheater when his girlfriend actually does come down to earth and it's like whoa this love triangle blah 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 but then comes around season two okay so this is where the real dilemma starts guys finn died at the hands of his best friend and his former lover because she was going to spare him of this uh death by torture from these other they call them grounders people that already lived on earth that survived the nuclear war a hundred years prior uh, because he kind of fired upon a village of innocent grounders. Um, he was trying to find the main protagonist, Clark, and he kind of panicked, right? Um, and so the grounders want revenge and justice for what he did, right? And eventually Finn turns himself in to pray for his crimes because he doesn't want people to get hurt trying to protect him. And he doesn't want to go to war. So he turns himself in. They're about to torture him by kill him by torture, right? And so Clark goes and stabs him, right? He says, says a goodbye to spare him of of a, of a painful death. And at first I was like, wow, that's heartbreaking. Sad. But here's where all the problems come in, guys. A couple episodes later, Clark falls in love with a chick. Now, I mean, okay. The problem with that is, it makes me think that Finn was cut off so she could just get together with some other person and that other person acts as a rebound, right? Because they didn't want Finn on the show anymore. That, to me, is a bunch of bullshit. It is. It's poor storytelling. And here is where the other part comes in, where the other problem is. People say that Finn deserved to die because of the 18 innocent people he killed. And they were innocent, but to be fair, they were running away. Finn told him not to run away. He was walking away. All they had to do was just wait in the corral where he had them grouped up together, right, while they left. And then they could, you know, go about their day. But they started running away, so Finn kind of panicked and shot upon them. But whatever, that's a different thing. So people, fans, hate on Finn hate on Finn, and they say he deserved to die because he killed the 18 innocent people. Well, here's the thing, okay? The 100 is an apocalyptic show, right? So is The Walking Dead. Nobody complained when sword-wielding Michonne slaughtered a group of 8-year-olds with her sword, right? 
And people could say, oh, but those eight-year-olds wanted to kill her baby, right? She was pregnant. They had knives in their, in their hands, right? And you could say, okay, she's a freaking adult. They're freaking eight-year-olds. Kick them with your feet or something, right? Or wait for Daryl to arrive because Daryl was at the scene. He was just recuperating from getting branded or whatever. I don't remember the episode to 100% exact memory. But uh, nobody complained when Michonne did that. Eight-year-olds killed them with a sword, beheaded them. Are you kidding me? Right? Nobody complained. So why are we complaining about Finn? Right? And he didn't even do it intentionally per se. Right? He panicked. Um, so why, uh, you know, why are we complaining? And then they say Finn killed, or uh, Clark, the main protagonist, killed Finn um, just to spare him of the torture. But that's not actually true. She also kind of killed them to keep this alliance because by killing Finn, the Grounders were going to make an alliance with Clark and her people to take out a bigger bad guy, right? And honestly, Clark killed Finn not just to spare him of the, of the torture, but to also kind of you know keep that alliance with the Grounders, with the other the Earth people, right? Now, ask yourself this. What kind of leader does that? In The Walking Dead, for those of you who have watched, when would Rick Grimes stab Daryl Dixon to keep an alliance with someone else? Right? And he would never also, even if there was no alliance involved, when would Rick stab Daryl to spare him of some torture? Hell no! Rick would do his best to break Daryl out of there. And if they all die doing it, they all die doing it. You guys know that, for those of you who have watched Walking Dead, right? Rick and his group, they're more than just survivors. They're like a family, right? And it's evident in the show. Rick would never leave one of his own behind. He would never sacrifice one of his own behind. If Daryl turned himself in to these other people to, sorry, to pay for, you know, maybe a crime he did, commit on accident or intentional or whatever, Rick wouldn't just let him die. Nobody just kill him to spare him of that torture. Rick would forgive him, and he'd say, you're part, of, you're part of us. You always have been, right? And we're going to move on, battle scars and all. And, we'll, and Rick would lay down his life for Daryl. Clark didn't do that. Clark justified her actions by saying she was going to spare Finn. And sure, that's true. But what would a real leader do, right? What would Rick do? Would Rick Grimes really leave behind one of his own brothers? He's not really his brother, but that's how close they are. He all, he actually calls him a brother on the show. But um, that's the point. Would a le- real leader leave behind one of their own, <clears throat> right, to keep an alliance or to spare them of uh, torture when there's a possible way to free them, to save them, maybe at the cost of your own life? But that's what a leader's supposed to do, it, aren't they? Right? Try every possible method. Screw the freaking alliance, right? If the alliance doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you're not going to leave one of your own to die. Right? And Walking Dead shows us that. So why the heck didn't the 100 do that? Right? I was already formulating a plan to save Finn while it was happening. There was a way. People would have died. But you go down fighting. You don't take the easy way out. Right? You don't try to justify your actions when there was another way. There always is another way. There's no doubt about that. Right? 
So, yeah, I had that ramble. I was just rambling on Reddit and arguing with all these other people. And eventually, I made my case. I always do, guys. Like I said, when I go rambling, I'm rambling, but I make a good point. I do. I do. I do. Uh, that's something I like about myself. Straight to the point. I make a strong argument. Anyways, that was how my weekend went, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't hate the show. I lo- I actually really like the show. Right? The 100. I just think in that moment, it was poor storytelling. Right? Cutting off an entire character, a main character. Right? Just to give the main, give the protagonist a rebound. To keep an alliance that was eventually broken. And really, it was for nothing. And when there was a clear way how to save the, the character. Instead of killing them off, right? There was more than one raid. I mean, you just have to get creative. Rick Grimes gets creative, guys. You just have to get creative. Right? And then they hate on him because what? Because he was a teenager? And he didn't really act like a teenager. He was actually one of the most mature ones out of all of them. All the other ones were more impulsive than him until he got to season two and he had that breakdown. Right? Finn was actually the most mature out of all of them. To be honest. He was the voice of reason, kind of like Dale in The Walking Dead. Right? And th- another thing, th- this is another part of bad story, storytelling. You can't kill, a f- kill off a character when you're finally beginning to give them a, a bunch of story arcs. Kind of like they did with Beth Green in The Walking Dead. All of a sudden, we start getting so much story, so much richness from this character, and then BAM! You kill them off. It's like, what the hell, bro? You can't do that. It makes it more heartbreaking, you know? So... Yeah, here I, I'm rambling again. See? Yep. That was my weekend, guys. Anyways, just wanted to let you know at least about what I did, what I was doing, what I was thinking about. Yep. Well, as you guys probably know, we do have a very special guest today. We do. We do. Right after elections. And damn, that election. those elections took a long time. All week long. Right? Yep. It is what it is. Some people are happy. Some people are not too happy. Right? We'll see how this works out. But... As I said, we have a very special guest today. We do, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do, we do. Very special guest. I'm very excited to hear from her. Um, I hope you guys are too. And I'm glad you guys tuned in, as always, to listen. Listen to my rambling about the 100 and Walking Dead and comparisons and bad storytelling, good storytelling, and all that good stuff, right? So, as always, guys, if you like the episode, leave a review at the end. Leave a rating. Let's make that our personal goal. Let's give the show at least 100 ratings. Not reviews. Or, I mean, reviews would be awesome. But ratings. It's not that hard. Just put five stars, guys, or something. Or, or leave an actual, uh, no, honest review about what you thought. Just leave a rating. Right? Let's get it at least 100 ratings. It's got, it's got, a, it's got a couple so far. Actually, I think we're one-tenth of the way there. If, on Apple Podcasts, at least. Um, that's the only place I know that you can leave ratings. Um, you can't do that on Spotify. I'm not sure how many people, have you, how many of you listen on Spotify. I know quite a lot of you listen on Apple Podcasts, but we we're one tenth of the way there on our podcasts. So leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, telling us what you thought about the episode, any of the episodes, or just the whole podcast in general. Right? Follow us or follow me on Instagram. And um, thank you very much, guys, for tuning in. As always. And I'm always going to say this. It's thanks to you guys. 
that we're able to do this. And uh, as I said just a couple minutes ago, we are getting closer to the season finale. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet. I'm not. I'm going to leave you guys in suspense. Anyways, with that said, guys, welcome to the Athenium with Angel B. Jimenez. Sarah, right? Or two, actually, that have already released. Tell me about the first one. So, One Chance is the story of a 12-year-old girl named Sandy, and her parents disappeared when she was really little. She goes up in this foster home with a mean foster woman named Miss Evelyn, and she eventually has to move to an orphanage, but before she does, a new student at her school named Brian reveals the existence of the student's Decido, and from there, the plot starts to escalate, Lots of mysterious things start to happen, and the kids have to try and figure out what's really going on and who is behind it. That's amazing. A lot of fantasy going on there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What inspired you to write, especially a book, and publish it? I was inspired to write because I have always loved to read. Reading to me has always been the coolest thing that an author can just put their pen to paper and put all the right words and the right combinations and take mm-hmm. me on an adventure. And I think that is so cool. So I was inspired to start writing because of that. And I wanted to be one of those people um, that could take someone somewhere. And yeah. so I wrote a book, not a book. I wrote a story in first grade. And then I loved writing. So in fifth grade, I was like, I'm going to do a book, a whole book. Wow. And so that story in first grade, was that your first ever story that you really committed to, I guess? The story that I wrote in first grade was just a simple story about a girl who could become invisible. But I mm-hmm. think the first story that I really committed myself to was the first draft of my first book. Wow. And how did you come up with the title and the characters for your book? So the title came to me because I finished a chapter with the quote, we only have one chance. And I was like, oh, I dig that. That sounds really nice. So I decided that I was going to um, make that the title. And it also worked perfectly because I could turn it into a series and kind of count upwards. Mm -hmm. And as far as characters... My first character, Sandy, um, she's the main character and the first character I came up with. I basically designed her as a window for me into what someone else's life might be like. Sandy's an orphan, and I'm lucky enough that I have two perfectly healthy parents. And so when I created Sandy, she was basically a portal for me into what someone else's life was like. But I also gave her what I call mirror elements, and those mirror elements allow me to see myself in her. So she's undyingly curious, like me. Um, there's a bunch of other characteristics. So after I came up with her, I came up with a bunch of other characters that would fit with her. Um, and we're just completely unique people. Wow, that's amazing. And so while you're writing, do you sometimes relate yourself with your characters? Absolutely. I always find something that I can relate to in every character. Sometimes there's, um, there's more to relate to with Mm -hmm. one character than the other. Um, but I always find at least one thing I can relate to them with. Except I would say that I've never based any characters off of me or any of my traits. Of course. And so your second book, Two Secrets, that's the sequel to One Chance. Am I right? Yes. Two Secrets is the sequel. And how many books are you planning on writing in this book series? I had originally planned for it to be roughly um, 10 books. It was either 9, 10, 11, something like that. But it was roughly 10 books. Um, but as I grew as a writer and I started to understand better 
how a plot could work, mm-hmm. I cut and combined those books into five books. So some of them were just cut completely, and then some of them I combined into one mm-hmm. like big book. Right, of course. And what are you hoping to do with your books? Like, are you hoping to teach the audience something or just pure entertainment? I think with my books, a combination of both. So mostly, I would say the prim- the primary thing would be to entertain and to mm-hmm. take people on an adventure. But one of the things that I'm super proud of with my writing is each book has history in it. So with one chance, not to spoil too much, but they do have to stop Abraham Lincoln's assassination, oh, wow. save the Titanic from sinking, and warn people at Pearl Harbor. And so with that, I had to research those events like mm. deeply and understand exactly what was going on in every single minute. And I'm hoping that the kids that read it will learn a little bit about those events and what really happened. Um, and same with the second and third books, there's some random history in there. Mm-hmm. So I hope that they learn from that. But the primary purpose is just to entertain and take kids All on right. an adventure. That, that sounds amazing. And what gave you the idea to kind of implicate historical events into your books? I am such a history nerd. I absolutely love history. I think history is so cool. Um, I fell in love with history for the first time in third grade when we were doing like the social studies unit on like explorers i remember learning about like ferdinand magellan and columbus and like the reality of what they did and i thought that was so interesting because they teach you all of this history but looking deeper into what actually happened was fascinating to me and Mm -hmm. so i started taking notes on all of these people and i would go and i'd write them like bullet point biographies just because it was interesting and so when i decided i wanted to write my book i wanted to write my dream book and Mm -hmm. i wanted to include everything that i love um to read about and i was like History. History has to be in there. Wow. Uh, that's super cool. And do you think it was harder to write One Chance because it was your first book? Or do you think you found two secrets harder to write and edit in that whole publishing process? Hmm. I would say... Um, oh, that's hard. Okay, if I had to pick, I would say One Chance was harder than Two Secrets. Because with One Chance... Um, I was so new to it. It was all so new to me. I mean, somebody give me feedback and tell me this works, this doesn't, this needs to change. Like, And having all of that feedback and critique was definitely very new for me, and I was mm-hmm. not used to it yet. And so I think one chance is definitely harder. Two secrets, I was more into this thing. Right, for sure. And have you won any awards for your novels? Um, I did. I won. So one chance won the Florida Authors and Publishers Association um, Silver President's Medal for Juvenile Fiction. And Two Secrets won the Florida Authors and Publishers Association oh, wow. Silver President's Medal for Middle Grade Fiction. Um, and then Story Monsters also awarded them both. Um, Story Monsters gave first place youth author fiction to One Chance and second place middle grade fiction to Two Secrets. Wow, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. And ha- yeah. yeah, how does that work? Do you like submit your book to them or do they just find it and they just like reach out to you? I definitely, um, you definitely have to submit, but I definitely did not submit my books. My publisher actually did it for me. Just ah, okay. but definitely, definitely do have to submit it. To right. Of course. And after, after your book series, once you're done um, with all five books, are you hoping to keep writing and maybe start a new book series or individual novels? I am, I have always dreamed about being an author. I am so um, set on this being what I do for the rest of my life. So I would absolutely love to write more series, um, maybe expand into like young adult fiction because I love young adult fiction. 
um, and just continue writing because writing just makes my world go round. Right, of course. And I mean, what are your aspirations later on? Have you had any ideas yet for a future book series? I have had so many ideas for different book series that I haven't really focused on any of them mm-hmm. because I have been so focused on this series, but I, you know, the ideas are always turning in here. There's always something new going on where I'm like, oh, this is cool. And sometimes I in- implement storylines and subplots into my books to incorporate fresh ideas. But I definitely think that, you know, once I finish this series and hopefully after I've studied this at college, I'll have a bunch more ideas of stories that I want to write and places I want to speak readers. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And what have you found to be the most difficult challenges in the process of being a writer and a published author? The hardest, wait, say that again. Sorry. Like your, what have been the, yeah, the hardest challenges that you've faced in publishing know, your book I, or just being a writer and author in general? I would say the hardest thing um, were originally... Actually, I have two answers. Um, I would say the first answer is handling the jealousy and doubt. A lot of people didn't think I could do it. A lot of people were jealous that I could do it. Um, And it definitely was not healthy for some of my fragile relationships. Um, And I definitely did lose some friends over it, which is really hard. But I would say the hardest thing then and now is the editing process. Editing is really hard. It's hard to hear feedback from other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to hear other people say, like, this doesn't work. Like, I don't like this. This is just bad. And it's also really hard to edit my own work after I've read it dozens and dozens of times. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. And how was your publisher on that editing process and getting it out there? I My publisher was awesome. I um, I think that I'm really lucky that I had a good, like, I have a good relationship with her. And... So she's giving me a bunch of edits and, you know, with one chance, sometimes I was like, these edits don't make sense. But looking back, I'm so glad that I took her advice because I was 14 and mm-hmm. like much more experienced than I yeah. am. Um, so I'm really lucky that I had a good relationship with her and she gave me a lot of really good feedback. It's really important, especially as a young writer. It is very important. Right. And when do you hope to have the third book out? I'm guessing it should be sometime next year, maybe. Yes, we're aiming for uh, January, February-ish oh. at the beginning of the year. Um, and so I'm currently in the editing process, mm-hmm. um, which, like I said, is a little rough, but I'm getting through it. Wow. And that's soon, January, just after New Year's. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. And how do you go about getting an illustrator? Do you have your own illustrator for your novels? Uh, my novels are, well, my novels are chapter books, so they don't have any illustrations, but the cover design is done by a mm-hmm. graphic designer named Tara, and she's amazing. I do have a picture book that recently came out called Cloudy Days, and the illustrator for Cloudy Days is one of my best friends. Her name is Katie Bell, and it actually started as a school project, so she illustrated it um, for the project, and then I was like, wait, this is awesome, so we pitched it to my publisher, and she liked it, and so now we have that book, too, and it was really cool getting to do that with her. Wow, that's funny. Wow, and is fantasy your favorite genre to write? Because, I mean, your whole book series pretty much is revolving at the, around that right now. Or are there other genres you like? I would say it is a two-way tie. Three-way, no, no, two-way tie between fantasy and mystery with an honor, honorable mention to historical fiction. I wow. love historical fiction, but it is so yeah. much work. Right, of course. And what do you think is the hardest genre for you to write? 
like the hardest genre. Definitely is historical fiction. I enjoy it, but it's so hard to get everything right. Um, there's so little record for some historical events. There's not necessarily like a play-by-play of every right. event because no one knows when a historical event is about to happen. And so finding information on them is right. so hard. And finding trustworthy information on it is even harder. Right. But once you do that, it's like a satisfying feeling. Like you got your facts and you got your information that you needed, isn't it? Yeah, it is so satisfying. Oh, I think I messed up for a second. But it is so satisfying when I find um, the right information or information I feel like I can trust because then working it into the scene is so fun. Right, of course. And what about the comedy genre? You don't find comedy hard to write? I find it hard to write all the time. I have never really attempted to write full comedy. I have like comedic lines Mm -hmm. where I can throw a little sarcasm in there, a little like dad joke or whatever. But I could not write a full comedy story. Have not attempted it. Uh, definitely outside of my wheelhouse. Right, definitely. And so, in terms of inspiring other aspiring writers, um, what do you? How do you hope to do that? How do you hope to inspire them to maybe publish their own book or uh, just kind of act upon their dreams of being a published author one day? Well, one of the things that I I try to do to inspire kids is I go to elementary schools and middle schools and I talk to the students. And I, tell them my story and hopefully my story inspires them to do it on their own and maybe gives them some ideas of how to achieve that. I also made a writing program it's called the SF writing program. It has an Instagram, which is really cool. And basically the SF writing program is all of my best tips and tricks for writing, editing, publishing, all of that. And so I hope that that program not only inspires, but also helps that young writers achieve wow. what they want to read. That's fantastic. And, where you're living right now, you're in Florida right now, right? That's where you're located. Yeah, I'm in Florida. Right. Does Florida uh, give you any certain advantages that any other state might not in terms of being a published author? Mm, I'm not sure necessarily about advantages, but I do think it's really cool that I was able to get the Florida Authors and Publishers Association mm-hmm. Awards. I think um, other states probably have their own version of that, but um, I think having getting the award in a bigger state makes it a little cooler like if it was the montana yeah. state awards or some awards like i thought that would be the only advantage i can think of mm-hmm. uh, but i really think there are opportunities everywhere if you're determined enough to find them mm-hmm. yeah of course and aside from publishing a book because that's a pretty big achievement already what Thank has you. been in your opinion what other achievement do you consider just as big as publishing your book um i wouldn't i don't know if it's just as big but Another or maybe around there. Just another achievement of mine that I'm like very proud of. Not sure where it ranks. Um, is I have a nonprofit that I started. It's called Simple Studies, and Simple Studies provides a bunch of free resources. It has free study guides, uh, advice articles, study buddy matching. It has all sorts of stuff. And Simple Studies has helped a lot of kids, and that just makes me so proud. I love impact. It makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I love feeling like I've impacted others. Yeah, every, I think everybody likes that feeling at some point. Right? We all kind of want to yeah. help people, inspire them. Absolutely. Yeah. So I get this question asked a lot, and sometimes I'm kind of like, um, you know, I've kind of thought about it before, and I'm kind of looking into it. But have people and readers from your books ever asked you if you've ever considered making a movie or a TV show out of your book series? definitely asked me that and it kind of hurts to explain to them that I don't have the means to make a movie mm-hmm. um, definitely not 
um, an easy thing to explain to little kids. I would absolutely love to be there with the movie version of One Chance One Day. That mm-hmm. is, would be like my absolute dream come true. Um, but I, unfortunately, as a high schooler from Florida, lack the means to bring that dream to life. Sure. So you've never actually maybe uh, sought help from other people that might be able to make that dream come to life? I haven't. I actually don't know anyone who I think would be able to help with that. You know, I'm all the way in Florida. I don't have any ties to mm-hmm. L.A. or Hollywood. Uh, so I honestly have no idea how one would go about that anyway. But maybe someday in the future it will happen or I will meet someone who does have a tie. Right, of course. Well, I wish you luck on that because... Getting making some for someone to make a movie on your own book, right? Not only does that give you publicity, but like you said, it's like a big achievement for yourself. Absolutely, it'd be so cool to see my dream like come to life, like my story from my head into other mm-hmm. people's eyes. For sure, cool. yeah. And so, what can we expect about the third book? What What's its title? First off, it's called Three Quests. Three Quests. Okay, and what can we expect from it? Well, Three Quests is the third book in the series, so now we're at a trilogy. Three Quests picks up a few months after Two Secrets leaves off, and at the end of Two Secrets, there is a big secret revealed, as you can probably assume from the title, Two Secrets. Um, And with those two secrets, uh, Three Quests has a lot to address. So it kind of talks about those secrets and embellishes them, and the main characters go on Three Quests, which I'm sure that you could guess from the title. but it's just another continuation of magic. There's history, there's mystery, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, and it just continues the adventure of these, I consider, very lovable main characters. Right, of course. And throughout your book series, if you were to pick one book to be the climax, which one would it be? Ooh, I would say defi- the climax is definitely in book three, since there's five books in the series. Yeah. You go, up, 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 yeah. three quests, climax, and then we have falling actions in book four and some are falling actions and resolution in book five that's exactly how i look at my books as well i originally was gonna have seven but now i have five so i always say the first book's the exposition a bit boring just introducing all the characters then you have the rising action climax of book three falling action resolution it's so cool thinking of a freight tags pyramid throughout a series and not just one book yeah exactly and from your perspective as a published author what do you think the best part about being an author is? The best part about being an author is the idea that a kid will pick up my book and either find a new passion, a new interest, learn something new, have a good day, have a better night, um, you know, get an escape, find some expression. But to summarize, the coolest thing about being an author is the, the idea that my words can change someone else's life. Or even just their day. And they can. I mean, people people use words and speeches to change people's lives every day. Martin Luther King Jr., <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. And so you seem very passionate about writing and history. Right. What throughout your childhood incited that passion for writing and history? Or was it just kind of this like light bulb that just turned on at some point in your life? I would say my parents have been reading to me for a long time. And so because they read to me like every night, I really got into reading, and reading is what got me into writing. And then with history, um, my third grade teachers really encouraged me, and they gave me lots of book recommendations to read biographies. I read, like, two entire shelves of biographies in my elementary school library. 
And I think the encouragement from the people around me to find these interests really helped nourish them. Wow. Wow, right, of course. And, oh, my bad. <laughs> I lost my voice a bit there. So, af- yeah, do you ever think about doing anything else other than writing and being an author? I mean, that's obviously going to be your bread and butter. butter. Um, but have you ever had aspirations of being something else? Yeah, so I, um, I obviously would love to be an author. That's my top choice. But if I, if I was not able to be an author, my second, um, the second thing that I would just do is be a clinical psychologist oh, wow. and work with kids. I think that would be um, perfect for me. Mm-hmm. I feel like helping, you know, as I said, I love impact. Impact just makes me feel good. And so if I can impact other kids' lives through being a clinical psychologist, I think that would, that would be awesome. That's fantastic. All right. Thank you so much, Sarah. I mean, I think we're running out of time here. You're, you're a bit short on time today, aren't you? I am. I do have uh, another meeting to go to. Five yeah, of course. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. We learned plenty from you and we loved hearing from you as well. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything coming up that I can accept uh, aside from your third book releasing in January? Is there any other event that we can kind of look forward to, maybe my audience can look forward to? Um, I wouldn't say any necessarily event, the third book coming out, but I do have a writer's slack. Um, if any of your audience would be interested in joining it, it's called Pen to Paper, and it's linked in my Instagram bio, which is at Sarah Frank Author. So if they go to my profile and they click the link, um, they'll see the writer's slack. It's at the bottom. And sometimes we have writer bonding calls or writer workshops like that. Fantastic. And is there any other social media that you're on that my audience can find you on? Um, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Frank Author, Twitter at Sarah F underscore author. And then I'm also on TikTok, but I don't use it as much at Sarah Frank Author. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. This was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for having me. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Bye now. Bye. All right, guys. There you have it. That was or that is becoming the end of our 15th episode. It was a bit of a short episode uh, tonight, guys. But that's good. That's always good. Um, We learned plenty from Sarah Frank, and um, she gave us a lot of insight on what it is to be a teen author, and very different insight from um, the one that Mel gave us back in our second episode of the podcast, guys, if you believe it. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Seems like it was a lifetime ago, actually. But uh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. As always, uh, it's... uh, it's always a pleasure having you on and leave a review if you like the episode, leave a rating. Remember, our goal is to get the pod, give the podcast uh, 100 ratings, remember? Yeah, and we're a tenth of the way there, 10 ratings, right? Do the math, you guys are good at math, I think. Um, but aside from that, guys, thank you for tuning in as always. As I said before, we are getting closer to that season finale, guys. It's going to be just on time for Christmas and I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you guys are looking forward to it. At least I think so. And I hope so. And I hope we're not boring you to death here, guys. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in. And this is the end of the 15th episode. We have another great episode coming up next week, I believe. Next week. Yeah. And it'll be releasing early that coming Sunday, I believe. If I remember correctly. Yeah. So thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed everything Sarah had to uh, tell us about being a teen author, not just a regular author like uh, Miss Nicholas back in our, what was that, sixth episode? Um, Sarah's a teen author, 
much like myself, right? And it's a very kind of different worldview perspective, different challenge because, you know, students have school to deal with, outside jobs, and then, of course, they have their book that they're publishing, right? So thank you, guys. And um, with that said, I think that's all I have for you. And, um, and keep an eye out, like I said at the beginning, for that poor storytelling, right? Um, I mean, if, if you're a writer, you'll, you'll understand this, but uh, you'll find that all, all around our culture. Um, and I mean, it's not bad because we all learn from it, um, but it kind, of, it kind of makes you think, right? If a movie producer or a director or a screenwriter uh, did, made that kind of a poor mistake for benefits that aren't that actually beneficial to the show, um, it kind of encourage you, encourages you, I think. At least it encourages me, right? When I see a director that kind of messed up something on screen, and I'm like, that wasn't the right thing to do in the show or in the movie or whatever, right? It kind of encourages me that the fact that I noticed that, I can probably do better, right? And it pushes you. So keep an eye out for that. That's why I mentioned it at the beginning, guys, not to just be a hard critic, but to kind of encourage you guys to be more observant and see that sometimes we do have better ideas than screenwriters and that's why uh, movie studios and tv studios are always looking for new stories and new submissions because they know that their stories aren't the only good ones out there right there's all of our stories as well so yep with that said guys this is the athenium signing off lights out